Welcome, everybody, to a Monday night edition of Texans All Access. I am John Harris for Blind House Silent Reporter, and I am joined by the voice of the Texans right off the bat, Mark Vandermeer. Mark, hope you had a great weekend. How are you doing, my friend? Now that we are eight, no, ten days away. Oh, I tried to shortchange it. Ten days away from draft 2021. How are you feeling, my friend? Well, it's next week, Johnny. So, like, once Monday hits, it's basically here, right? You know? Yeah, I mean, I don't much. I don't really think there's any difference. It's like kind of like game day. Once you're into game week, you feel like, all right, we're there. Let's do this. Let's rock. And this, to me, is the offseason Super Bowl. It's the biggest event of the offseason always, COVID or no COVID. So, this is going to be huge. First round pick or no first round pick or no second round pick. And I was on with Mike Keith of the Tennessee Titans and – he said, well, what's it What's it like to not have a first-round pick? I said, <laughs> what's it like to have a first-round pick? You know, yeah. this is three out of four years we haven't had one. We're used to this stuff. Let's go. We can deal with it. Let's have it. We got to stop that, though. I mean, we've got to <laughs> – we got to – we literally have to stop that. We don't, we don't need to be giving up first-round picks from now on. We need to save our first-round picks and then make the most of those first-round picks. You know, we need to do the DeAndre Hopkins – jj watt sort of things in the first round um you know like we used to do uh and that's what we need to do going forward and not keep giving them up now the man who is going to be making those picks third well friday and saturday and then signing a group of undrafted free agents is nick casario general manager he will join us in the next segment we did an exclusive two-on-one with Nick, had a really good time talking about the draft, and he professes a love for a position in this draft that will surprise all of you. All of Ooh. you. Yes. Ooh. I won't tell you whether it was tongue-in-cheek or not or whether I pushed him to it or whether I convinced him of it, but, yeah, you'll have to stick around for that. But Nick Casario is going to join us in a uh, in the next segment, and then we'll also go around the NFL. Trey Lance had a second pro day. What does that all mean? Who's going number three to San Francisco? Plenty to hit later in the show. Well, Mark, here's my story. So Friday, I was actually thinking about writing at some point. I was like, man, what can I write about? Oh, I had this idea about value in the draft, and then I was listening to. Seth and Sean in the morning, and they kind of took my idea and, and, and ran with it a little further. I was like, okay, I'm going to take that and then run with it a little bit further. Obviously, you and I have been out. We talked about not having first-round picks, not having second-round picks. You're not picking it until pick number 67. And when you talk to people in the city of Houston or Texans fans, they're like, yeah, you know, you got Nick Casario, but uh, you don't have a first or second-round pick. Okay, yeah, well, we get that. What was us? Whatever. I'm not really, like, of that mindset. Like, okay, so you don't pick till 67. You still can get some really fine football players from pick from the third round and on. And so as I was kind of driving and listening to them, and I'm thinking in my head, oh, I know what I want to write now, they kind of added some fuel to the fire, and they started naming some names. And I was like, you know, I wonder if you could put together – an offensive 11 and a defensive 11 of Texans draft picks third round and later. 
And I went and did it. And I wrote it. And I was like, you know what? If I went, now obviously you, you, you need 46, you need guys with depth and all kind of stuff. But I wrote that list out on either side, Mark. And I looked at it and went, you know what? These are really good football players found in the draft. And then obviously after the draft, in the case of A.J. Boye in 2013, Arian Foster 2009, Dylan Cole in 2017, there have been a lot of players found later rounds. And I don't know if that made me feel any better or worse, Mark, but it felt like it proved my point. And that is you can find excellent football players from round three and on. You need a little bit of luck. You need some persistence. You obviously need to do all of your due diligence. The Texans have proven with all their general managers to this point, you can find some really good football players round three and beyond. Well, I think, you know, as it relates to this year's team, Johnny, when you look at the O-line alone, now let's rewind. When you look at, and you mentioned this in your article, Brandon Brooks and Ben Jones, you have a third and fourth round draft choice. And I know they didn't end up staying with this team, but they ended up still playing in this league. And Ben Jones starts at center for a pretty good football team yep. that just won the division. And you saw what they did the year before the postseason. We saw what Brandon Brooks did. He won a Super Bowl in Philadelphia. So those guys are third and fourth round picks. Derek Newton was a really good right tackle for this team for a time uh, before he had the uh, double knee injury situation. And he was a seventh-round draft choice. And look, those guys played on the same line. Yeah. Even the greatest line in the history of the franchise was, let's see, what was it? Third-round pick at right tackle, undrafted free agent. Chris Myers was not drafted by the Houston Texans. Wade Smith was a free agent pickup. And Dwayne Brown was, of course, a first-round draft choice. Now, I'm not saying they're going to automatically hit on that here this year. But it's very possible you come up with a really good line this year with Titus Howard at right tackle, and you still have Laramie, and we've been over the rest with Marcus Cannon, and if, if Britt turns out to be what you want him to be at center, and they work it out with guard, with Sharping, or whoever on the other side. I mean, you do have some opportunities here. So I really believe that you can put together a good team with picks third on down, and we haven't even gotten into the other position groups yet. You highlighted it well in your article. I mean, you know, when you mix in the free agents, not just undrafted free agents, but free agents and or trades, you really come up with some neat scenarios there. Neat. Did I just use the word neat? Yes, I did. <laughs> some really eye-opening scenarios there, but you got to hit on the right picks, the right acquisitions. And I think, you know, we won't know until we know, but on paper, they're off to a pretty good start here. I think the big challenge is going to be, you know, what do you get at corner? You know, it's very hard for those players, it seems, these days to slip down. But you still do it. I mean, some of the higher-priced guys recently in free agency, you know, have been like, you know, Malcolm Butler. You know, they yeah. got him at Foot Locker. You know, Malcolm <laughs> Butler, all right? I'm not saying that he's, you know, multi-pro bowler, but he made one of the great plays in the history of the Super Bowl. Yeah. So you do have players you can get, but, again, you got to hit on it right. No doubt. And the one thing that I said in the article was, look, this is 19 drafts. Is this our 20th draft, this 20th? Cosplayer draft? This is 20. So this is draft. 19 drafts worth, and we're talking about one draft. But I, I've said with this draft, look, if you get two to three starters out of this one, you feel really good because then you move to 2022 and you feel like first rounder will be a starter, second rounder will be a starter, and then third and beyond, you get you know another starter 
if you're able to get five starters out of the next two drafts, how much better are you down the road? I mean, that's what you have to be able to do. And that's what the Texans have not done recently is they haven't hit and maximized all those picks. Now, jury's still out on the 2019 picks. Titus, Max, you know, Titus has started for two years. You know, Max was in and out of the lineup in 2019 and then 2020. Lonnie Johnson went from corner to safety. Jury's still out on Lonnie. You know, Charles Zimenez, who has made uh, a lot of plays, you know, he's a guy drafted after the third round, you know, but it hasn't totally come together yet. I think this defensive scheme change will help who more than anything else. But when I look at players, you know, that have come here after, you know, third round and beyond, I mean, you know, guys, it didn't take long for some of these guys to step in right away. I mean, right off the top. Unfortunately, TJ Yates had to step in and be a quarterback, taking in the fifth round. The two best running backs in this in this organization's history were fourth round and beyond with Dominic Williams uh, and Arian Foster. You know, the tight ends, Owen Daniels, Jordan Akins. I mean, it, it's you can find tremendous football players in third round and beyond, which leads me to this question, Mark. Sitting at number 67. Say nothing happens, we get to 67. That's the first pick for the Texans. That will be their last NFL team to select. Once that's done, then we're moving on. You don't have to talk about no first or second anymore. What position would you be surprised that the Texans would draft at number 67? Like, what's your level of surprise? Like, man, if they draft this position, I would be shocked. What position is that for you? I think I'll give you a few. I think quarterback would be a surprise. I know McLean had Kellen Mond taken right then. Yep. I think somehow the world is going to talk themselves into Kellen Mond going in the first two rounds. By the world, I mean somebody's going to take him, obviously. Yes, yes. Uh, but he might still be around there. I'll be surprised if the Texans take him. If they do, it means they saw a whole lot of value there and somebody who's solid and somebody who can develop. Uh Another position group that would surprise me a bit is running back right there, only because I think it's not like they're loaded, Johnny. They have three intriguing prospects there, veterans with Ingram, with Lindsey, with David Johnson. I do believe that they can wait on that position. I believe wide receiver would be a bit of a surprise. I know this draft is loaded. Maybe you get a stud in the third round. Somebody slipped through, which is entirely possible. I probably should leave this one out. But – you know, again, they have a lot of players there that they can utilize at that position. When you look at, you know, Cobb coming back, I don't know how he fits in with, you know, whatever they think of QT, whatever this group thinks of QT with Brandon Cooks, who's still one of the better receivers in the game, no doubt. And then you added Chris Conley and the rest of the guys. I don't know. You know, I think that's a bit of a surprise if they take a player there. Uh, I would expect it to be the least surprising things to me would be anybody on defense. Yeah. Any position group, you name it, probably uh, starting with the least surprising, which would be anybody in the defensive backfield, starting with corner safety, then working on down linebacker, defensive line. I just, I expect them to take a defensive player in the third round with their first pick, the 67th overall. But again, the draft is always full of surprises. I remember one year, I mean, this has happened a lot of years, actually. There's no way they're taking a tight end and they take Holly wearing in the third round. I mean, come on. But they did it. So it's always possible to have 
a shock, if not a surprise or whatever, kind of pick wherever they're picking. What I find interesting, I think you're right. You're right about running back and wide receiver, no doubt. I think that running back, there's there's kind of a gap after the first kind of four guys and maybe some others. But I think running back has got value throughout, and you're not going to get one of those top four or five guys more than likely. They're probably gone by 67. Maybe not Michael Carter from North Carolina, but there, there are a bunch of other guys that kind of run the gamut. I love this this running back group, and I think part of it is because I feel like we can get one in the fourth, fifth, sixth round and feel like that guy's got an opportunity to make an impact on this team at some point. Wide receiver, same thing. There are so many good wide receivers. You've kind of loaded up in free agency. Now, maybe not all of them make the squad at that point, but you've gone out and at least gotten some guys to compete for the position, and you can still get good value. And there are probably – there's probably a glut of about eight to ten guys that you could take anywhere probably from 50 to 125 that you could maybe interchange in some way, shape, or form. So you could get one with that second, you know, the second pick, I think 109, you know, in the fourth round or maybe on even to the fifth round. You can at those two particular positions. Quarterback, there's the top five who we know, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones. Then there's Mond. Then there's uh, Davis Mills from Stanford, and there's Kyle Trask. And those last three are kind of separated a little bit. I don't know that any of them really I would, you know, like run the card up there at 67, got to go get them. I don't know if I'd feel that way about any of those other guys. So I think you're right. I think it's defense. In my Harris 250, at pick (laughs) number 67, if I'm going by that, at pick number 67, the Texans would take a ball-hawking safety from Indiana, Jamar Johnson. The greatest tackler in the world, but from Florida, ended up in Indiana, did a great job, had four interceptions this past year, intercepted Justin Fields twice in that game. Mark, if there is anything that I want to see with this, these draft picks, I don't care what position it is, Safety, corner, nickel, linebacker, off linebacker, off the ball linebacker, edge. Well, I don't care. Whoever they bring in, those players had better go get the football. And so when I did that exercise to see who'd end up at 67, it was Jamar Johnson. I was like, you know, safety's probably not the one I would say first. But if you get a guy that goes and takes the ball away, it's worth it. What would you think about a ball hawk safety? At 67, and that's your first pick. I'm in all the way, Johnny. You mentioned, though, not the greatest tackler in the world on your selection. I wanted to ask you a question about that. Is that something that can be taught? Is that something that one can improve at? I I would imagine you can improve, but is a good tackler, I'm putting that in air quotes, is that sort of a born with sort of skill uh, that some guys just have it more than others? Some guys, just go and I know that some guys go and get the football more than others. And that seems to be a knack that can be innate, but what about tackling? What about the physical part of it? Hey, I coach little kids in flag football. Some kids are just more apt to go get the flag than other kids. Some kids like I'm going to get that flag and it's not, it's not getting by me. You know what I mean? So what about tackling? How much of that is innate versus, uh, versus you can be taught. I think a lot of it is innate. I think to be a good tackler, there's got to be a level of physicality, which a guy like Jamar Johnson, he has that. Um, he has a physicality. I mean, he's a physical guy. I mean, he's six, 
I think he's 6'1", like 197. You know, he's got a physical nature to his game, which makes me think tackling is about discipline at this point because I've seen him make tackles in space. There are just times where I see him do some, some technique things that can be cleaned up. I don't look at him and think, no, 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 no. He's just a ball hawk. There's, there's no way. He's got an opportunity. He's just not, he's just not the best tackler. Like, I see others at safety, um, like Richie Grant from UCF, I think Richie's a great tackler, um, but he's not quite the ball hawk that, that Johnson is. And my point with that is, Mark, every single year that I've been alive, if you said you want, a, you want a great tackler or you want a ball hawk, I would tell you I want the tackler. I want a guy that I can rely on back there at safety. I can, If I've got ball hawks at other positions, I can live with it. But with this defense and the inability last year to take the ball away, I want guys that can go sniff it out and go find the football. And I would, I would lean more towards that going forward. And you know me. You, I mean, we go through games all the time, and you hear me kind of grunting and grinding down on the sidelines when our guys miss tackles. I hate it. I hate it. But if the trade-off is, okay, maybe I'll miss a tackle here or there, but that dude's going to go find the football, I'll make that trade. I will make that trade on this particular team because it is so necessary and we don't have anybody really at of that ilk to go get the football. So I'll trade it probably this year and maybe going forward, but uh, not too much after that. I mean, tackling is still such a valued commodity, but when we just have such a dearth of ball hawks, I want one. I want a guy who wants to go get the football. I am so curious this year how they handle these undrafted free agents and the extra players they're going to pick up draft weekend. Because, look, we still don't know about this offseason program. It's so fluid. You know, you have some guys coming into the building. Uh, everybody's released their statement as to how much or how little they're going to come in. And it's very vague and up in the air. And I get it. And we still don't know how much we're going to get as far as on-field practice. And I think back to last year, Johnny, and how these rookies did, you know, they didn't have the class they were looking for because, well, maybe because they're not going to ultimately pan out. But I think a lot of it just has to do with no offseason. How many reps did a guy like John Reed miss because yeah. they had no OTAs and no rookie camp and training camp reps were probably reduced anyway? Obviously, no preseason games. How many reps did Grenard not get or Ross Blacklock? And how much would that have helped them once they hit the starting line? And I know everyone's saying, well, look, they are having a horrible season. They should have played those guys more. Look, I think they felt like they could win. They could start winning at any time. Yeah. And when you have 10 one-score games and win only two of them, when you have four division losses basically at the buzzer, you can understand it. They felt like they could win more games, and they should have won more games. Uh, so I, I just – look, they did what they did. They approached it the way they approached it. My point is um, it's so up in the air as to how any rookie can do in this environment without the full complement of offseason reps. And uh, it's a little bit of a concern for me, particularly for a team like this that's looking for a quick rebound. Maybe the veterans are, are going to be such entrenched players, you know, that it's going to be tough for the rookies to get reps. We'll see. You know, obviously this is stuff they talk about all the time, how to get the guys up to speed. It'll just be interesting to see how they attempt to do it. Yeah, no doubt. It's uh, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a tough weekend, but I would think also an exhilarating one for Nick Casario, GM for your Houston Texans, and that man joins Mark and I next right here on Texans All Access. Texans All Access. 
Texans all access. The draft is in 10 days. Get excited, everybody. Now, I know for the Texans, it's more like 11 days because they won't be making a pick on Thursday, at least as it sits now. But the world is ever-changing, and you never know how things are going to turn out. May not even make a pick on Friday. Well, you're going to make a pick on Friday. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. But either way, the man making those picks, along with a tremendous personnel staff, James Lipford, Director of College Scouting, is General Manager Nick Casario. It's his first draft. This one will go down in history. I cannot wait to see how Nick goes about this particular draft. A, not drafting till number 67. And B, just to see how he maneuvers up and down the board, whether that is something in this draft that he will do. Maybe other drafts, it was more conducive for that. Maybe this one is not so much. One of the main things about this draft that makes it really unique are the lower numbers of players actually eligible for the draft. Because the NCAA said, hey, we're going to give everybody essentially that was a senior, a super senior year. Everybody Basically, last year didn't even count on players' eligibility records unless players were freshmen, which is totally unfair. But there were a lot of kids essentially recruited back to campus. Here's a great example. Texas A&M would have had uh, Jane Peavy, Michael Clements, Miles Jones, um, and then there's a couple others that I'm, I'm blanking on right now. But those three, that's at one school. Just those three alone would have been in the 2021 draft. But they decided to go back because they had the opportunity to. They did. The last couple of years, there have been 1,800-plus draft-eligible players. This year, 655. That's a stark I mean, it's all, I mean, almost a third less that are available for this draft and for the undrafted process. So it's a little different. There's still quality to be found no matter how small or how large. But that's the impact on this draft is that there are on upwards of 1,100, 1,200 players that you don't have. You don't have a lot of FCS players, lower level players because they went back. Uh, or they're going to use that super senior year, or they're going to stay a junior for another year. It may flood the draft the next couple of years, but it just makes this one really intriguing and interesting to watch, especially from an undrafted standpoint. Think about it this way. 655 players eligible, 259 of them will be drafted. So roughly 400 are available for 32 teams in the undrafted free agent process. That's not a huge pool of players, to be honest. So it's going to make it interesting, no doubt. And the man making those picks is Nick Casario, and he joins us now. Nick, take us through a little bit of of the process here. What's it been like getting ready for this draft with your staff, with the coaching staff? You guys have been entrenched for a little while now. Oh, it's been awesome, Mark. We've uh, we've spent a lot of time uh, collectively, both staff kind of independently with the coaching staff, kind of getting some of their feedback and some evaluations on some players and interfacing that with some of the things that we've accumulated to this point from a scouting side and just trying to, you know, bring those two together so that we're just trying to identify kind of the right players that we think we like or would be able to have, we think, hopefully some role in some capacity for our team, whatever that looks like. So there's a combination of factors that go into it, but I think the work that Lip and, and Baz and their respective staffs have done to, the, to get us to this point 
um, has been exemplary. So, you know, we're excited about the opportunity in front of us and we're just going to try to maximize our, our picks whenever those are and just be prepared to pick like whenever that is. So I mean, it could be, you know, probably not until much later on Friday, but like we're, you know, looking forward to it and just trying to take advantage of the opportunities that we have in front of us. Nick, obviously last year we had a combine, but no pro days. This year we've had pro days, but no combine. Do you find one better than the other or just different? Uh, it's a good question, John. I would say probably more different, but I don't think like the information or the evaluation specifically from the workout standpoint is any different, right? I think the beauty of the combine is that he had a centralized hub, right? And location where there was 300 or so players-ish roughly, right? So you were able to accomplish a number of different things, right? Interviews, meeting with players on a face-to-face basis, medicals, and then on-field, right? So you're able to do that all in one spot. This year, it's a little bit more fragmented, right? Because essentially, you have the pro day, which you get the on-field, right? But there's nothing else that could take place at the schools. So in the medical, there's 150 that went to Indy. So you're getting that information, right? And you're doing the interviews over Zoom, right? So it's a little bit more disjointed and in terms of how you have to do it but you're still trying to arrive at the same endpoint. So the beauty of the combine, it's just kind of centralized. It puts everything in one spot. This has just been a little bit different, but I wouldn't say that it's been less effective. Nick, when you make trades, obviously you have to do it so fast with so little time between picks. Do you lay the groundwork ahead of time for potential deals? How do you handle that in advance or do you just wait till you're doing it on the fly? It's a really good question, Mark. Um, We've done it kind of both ways in the past, right? And depending on where you're picking, right, trades are so player driven, right? So a lot of that is contingent upon what happens in front of you and as the players come off the board. So we're at 67 right now, right? So to try to make any calls about trades or moving is probably not realistic at this point. But again, if you get to a certain point, you're looking X number of spots and you're looking at some of the resources that you have. Okay. How much is it going to take for us to get here? All right, there's a specific player that we want. All right. Is it, is it actually feasible for us to do it? Right. So you we've handled it both ways. We've done it both ways. Um, but those are very organic. I wouldn't say there's necessarily a set formula to them. Nick, maybe you can help me with this too, because as I've gone through kind of my own analysis for the draft, one of the things that I, I I get to this kind of stopping point at certain points about players and I'm not sure what to do. And that's the opt out situation when players opted out and there were all kinds of them, ones that opted out back in June. There were some that opted out before the season started. There were some that opted out right in the middle of the season or with two or three games left to go. I haven't found kind of my own methodology for how I want to factor that into their ranking or their slotting. How have you looked at the opt-out situation? Is it case by case, or do you have kind of a universal thought on how you look at it? John, it's a good question. Um, you just have to go off whatever information that you have, right, and just make the best assessment, right? So the players that opted out just have less, I would say, playing experience recently, right? So do you penalize them for that? Or if they made an individual decision, do you penalize them and use it as a negative mark against, well, like he wasn't there for his teammates or just something like that, right? Which yeah. sometimes there are some of those statements. Again, case by case, look at the player, look at the information. You have hopefully 2019 that you can evaluate, and then you benchmark it versus 2020, and maybe you don't. And even the, and the players that played in 2020, right? Like some teams play four games, some teams yeah. play five, other teams play 10. So it's not apples to apples, right? So right. you just look at those situations. And again, 
you're just trying to make as good of an assessment as possible with the inf- like we can't make up the information right so right. just you can only go off of what you have so you just take what you have all right maybe it's a little bit less than you might have for somebody else but that's okay it shouldn't necessarily factor too much into your ultimate decision um, but again, it's just makes it a little bit more challenging and, you know, you just try to, they just have less, you just have less to go off in, in those particular situations. That's all. I know you were asked about this, but I always find it fascinating need versus best player available. And if there's a really good player available, but you really don't need that player. Do you think about dropping down because you might need another position group, a few picks down you think, well, I could drop down here. And those decisions have to take place so quickly. So how do you handle all of that, Nick? Yeah, Mark, it's a great question. So what you have to do is, is you're working through the draft and the players are coming off, right? And you're kind of looking at the players graded at different levels, right? So you're kind of looking at supply and demand, right? And I don't want to like simplify this to basic economics, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you're looking at one position. All right. We have three or four guys here. Okay. If we lose this one, like we still might have a chance if we did this, right? Okay. Is it worth moving back? You get an extra pick or you know what? Don't want to risk it, right? He's too good of a player. Like, we have a consensus. Coaches like him. Scouts like him. Like, he's a good person. He's got good traits. Okay, how smart are we to kind of get too cute, right? So, again, you just have to assess the information real time and then just look at whatever the alternatives are and then decide, like, okay, what makes the most sense at that time. Nick, you mentioned it a little bit in your press conference, and I know people around here don't love talking about Julian Edelman, but I think there's something to be learned from his draft in 2009, where he was a quarterback, but you guys knew he wasn't a quarterback. You weren't totally sure what you were going to do with him. What sort of did you learn from Julian Edelman, the player, and how did you factor that, factor that into future drafts? Yeah, I mean, look, credit goes to Bill on that one because he kind of you know, had the vision. But I would say it's just you're just looking for good football players, right? I think sometimes you get caught up in certain measurements, height, weight, speed. Okay, this guy lacks length. You know, I would say just – my experience. And I would say even like in the case of the Texans, right? Like some of our better players, like Brandon Cooks, he's one of our better players, right? I think we all can agree on that. Okay. He's five, nine, 190 pounds with elite speed. Right. Okay. Yeah. So like, he's a good football player. Right. So because he's not, you know, six two, 220 pounds, like, again, you can't get caught up in that. Right. So yeah. in Edelman's case, like he had good athletic traits and again, you took a guy in the seventh round. It's not like you didn't know. And he made himself into the player he ultimately became because of his work ethic because of the coaching that he received from his position coaches and just his overall willingness to improve and get better. Right. So what you want to see on a play and any player and especially players like that, who might be transitioning is this, their willingness to embrace that change, their willingness to improve. And the only way that you're actually going to get better is you have to work at it. Right. And it's not going to happen overnight. And in his particular, it took him four or five years ultimately to get to a point where he was able to have some sustained success. But you mentioned it uh, talking to the media, Nick, about is the guy going to go to work or not? And how difficult is that to identify as a college kid? Is he going to put the work in? Because they all need to get better as they get to this level. So how do you see that in somebody? Mark, that's probably one of the, the hardest things to ascertain, right? Because you don't know how, how they're going to respond to some of the other elements that come along with being a professional football player, right? Mm-hmm. There's a few more distractions. There's some other things that can kind of lead you stray, right? There's more competition. Like nobody's on scholarship. Like you go from being on a roster of 80 to 5 to 90. Okay, 
you, you get to keep 53 players on your team and another 12 on your practice squad. So basically, let's call it, you can work with 65, 70 players, right? So are you doing enough on a day-to-day basis to uh, account for one of those spots, right? Do you deserve one of those spots, right? So nobody's handed anything, regardless of where you were drafted or where you were picked. Again, that's not going to be our mindset, right? It doesn't really matter what round he's drafted in, where he comes from, or how he gets here. It's about what you do when you're here. And the sooner those players realize that and understand that, the better off they're going to have the chances they're going to have for success, right? But I, you kind of articulated it. That's the most difficult thing. And that's you can't measure it. And you don't really know it until you actually see it and they actually get here, right? And that, that's probably one of the more challenging things that you face because you can only rely on so much information. He's a great kid. Oh, he was great. Okay, well, that was in college, right? This is a totally different situation. How are they going to adapt? How are they going to adjust? And do they actually embrace this as their profession, which is what it is? Nick, where do you see the strengths via position in this draft? It feels like it's a great receiver draft. Obviously, four quarterbacks could potentially go top four. Where do you see the strength in this particular draft class? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's like a popular question every year. I'd say there's yeah. different pockets of different players, you know, throughout, um, you know, throughout the certain positions, I would say have a little bit more depth than others. I'd rather not get into like what certain positions, John, but there are certain positions. There's a little bit more volume, a little bit more depth. Sure. Um, but again, you can really hopefully find football players throughout. And again, once you kind of get into that, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh round, I mean, you could probably lump fifth to free agents, you know, undrafted free agents in the same bucket. You know, there's a little bit more hit or miss with that group, but the, hopefully there's enough players to get you to the end point. And there's probably going to be some good players that weren't drafted. I mean, it happens all the time and everybody's looking, going, how did this guy not get drafted? <laughs> yeah. You know what? Ha- it happens every year. Right. So there's like, there's no rhyme or reason. Again, that's why the draft, it's just, there's no exact science to it. It's okay. You, can, you don't have to tell us about the depth of the kickers in this draft. It's okay. <laughs> we know it's great. Don't worry about it. It's all right. Kickers are going to be great. Got it. Nick, how are you guys going to spend Thursday night? Are you in the war room like it's uh, picks as usual? I'm barring a trade. You don't have any picks in the first round. So how do you spend Thursday night, night one of the draft? We're going to have a staring contest. We're going to have beanbag <laughs> toss. No, I mean, again, I think one the good thing for us is just kind of go through our process, right? You know, set up the team boards. If there's trades that happen, okay, how do we move? So going through our process, like we can still simulate that and go through it and just understand there's going to be probably – you know, 55, 60-ish players that are going to come off over Thursday to Friday evening. And again, you know, you want to be respectful of the process. And there's certain things that we can do. We can have some discussions about maybe some particular players or, again, just trades happen. Okay, what was a trade? Okay, and just go through the mechanics this way when we actually get to that point whenever we pick, you know, it's kind of seamless and we just haven't sat there, sat around and, and done nothing, which hopefully we won't do. <laughs> Well, we appreciate the time very much, Nick. Thanks a lot for joining us. Best of luck in the draft. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Boy, it's been a while since Mark and I have been able to catch up with the general manager for your Houston Texans on a little pre-draft talk. There's a lot to catch up with, Nick. We've had him on a couple times now. I've had a blast talking to him. He's been fun, and it's going to be a really fun weekend. A couple weekends from now, I'll be on the air for about 16 and a half, 17 hours straight talking about all the draft picks, all the teams, everything going down. Who does San Francisco pick at number three? Well, that's going to be a huge talking point. And it was a pretty big talking point today because one of the quarterbacks in consideration had his second pro day 
in Fargo, North Dakota. What does it mean? Well, we'll go around the NFL, talk about that next, right here on Texans All Access. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this final segment of this Monday edition of Texans All Access. From the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio, I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and the author of the Harris 100, which should be coming out version 2, updated, should be updated with a bunch of weights and measurements and times. Now, I submitted that before all the times were completed and done. They are now. But you won't see everything, but about 95% of them. Um, if you need to find them, I'm sure you can find them, some of those pro day measurements. But to me, the most important thing is the analysis. So go find HoustonTexas.com, the Harris 100, version 2. I will tweet out when that is going live. You can see my old one, the previous one, version 1. Uh, if you choose, you can go to HoustonTexas.com or check me out on my Twitter feed, at JHarrisFootball. You can follow if you want. I don't tweet a whole lot more um, now than I, I I used to tweet a lot. Now I don't tweet so much. But, eh, you know, you can follow nonetheless. It's always kind of fun to see a, a nugget come from me every now and again. Now, the NFL never stops ever. Even on a Monday in April, 10 days out from the draft, News from a particular quarterback, and this one does hit home a little bit because I was standing probably about, I don't know, 50, 60 yards away down on the sideline when Alex Smith was sacked by J.J. Watt and Kareem Jackson and broke his leg in a 2018 matchup with the Washington football team. And you didn't know at the time, you saw Alex go off the field, but you didn't know at the time what he would go through to get back on the field. And he did in 2020 help lead the Washington football team to an NFC East championship and to the playoffs. He today, though, calls it quits. He retires. I shouldn't say calls it quits. That, that sounds bad because if there's anybody in this world that didn't quit ever, it was Alex Smith. I was a big Aaron Rodgers guy. So in 2005, I was pushing Aaron Rodgers should be the number one guy. But I will say I was, I thought Alex Smith could be a fine quarterback. I just felt like Aaron Rodgers had a higher ceiling. And that's true. Alex Smith did not, things didn't go well for him early in his career in San Francisco because there were a lot of coaching changes, a lot of coordinator changes. Then when it looked like he might get in rhythm, he got hurt. He missed a whole year tearing ACL. It wasn't until Jim Harbaugh took over in 2011 that Alex Smith became that guy in San Francisco. Got some confidence and helped lead San Francisco to the NFC Championship game. The next year, well, you know the story, but halfway through, Colin Kaepernick takes over. Kaepernick is the whiz kid. Smith is then moved to Kansas City uh, in the offseason in 2013. He then helps Kansas City get to the playoffs. Patrick Mahomes drafted in 2017. Smith knows, okay, this is the final year. He put on a show against us on a Sunday night. My God, he was good in 2017. Just incredible. Then gets traded to the Washington football team and was doing well before that leg injury when he was sacked by Kareem Jackson and J.J. Watt. Coming back in 2020, it might be – it's going to be a Disney film. It, It should be. I mean, the, the 
uh, E60 they did as like I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't even seen it. I, I I can't I can't watch it. I I should because I want to appreciate what that man did, and and I do. I'm definitely not one of those that'll poo-poo his career at all. Oh, number one overall pick, he should have done this, should have done that. Man, there were times where that dude was handed a, a bleep hand and he dealt, he found something there. But Alex Smith retired today. He could do at this point, man, he could go into rocket science. I wouldn't be surprised. This dude is, he's one of a kind. He is one of a kind. But he was a former Niner. And now the Niners potentially looking for a quarterback at number three, I would think. You don't trade two future first-round picks and move up nine spots to not go get a quarterback. Is it Trey Lance? Well, Trey Lance had a second pro day. And I find it interesting to watch the sports books out in Vegas move the odds around. When they got the number three pick and made that trade, immediately Daniel Jeremiah said, oh, this could be for Mac Jones. Mac Jones took off. Then Mac Jones had a pro day. And Kyle Shanahan was there at that pro day along with John Lynch. Justin Fields had a second pro day. Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch both there today in Fargo. Trey Lance had his pro day. Kyle Shanahan there. And each time that there was a pro day, Mac Jones, then Justin Fields, and Trey Lance became the favorite to be that number three pick. Now, I have had Trey Lance ahead of Justin Fields the whole time. When I did my last mock, I had Trey Lance going at number three to San Francisco. And I think it's going to be Trey Lance or Justin Fields. And I went into why last week. The ceiling is just that much higher. I think Mac Jones has elite football IQ. He is not a, he's not a mudslide in the pocket where he just can't get out of pressure if he needs to. He ran in the 4-7 range. He, but he is so incredibly smart. Throws a really nice ball. Doesn't have a tremendous arm strength, but throws a really nice ball. So could Mac Jones be that guy? Sure. But you're looking for a guy with ceiling. That's Trey Lance or Justin Fields. And you talk about a howitzer. Trey Lance has got Josh Allen-like arm. And I I mean, he's got a laser. Not all about that, but I've said all along, Trey Lance would be that pick at number three. I'm going to stick with it until I'm wrong. And I could be wrong on draft night. It could very well be Mac Jones. I wouldn't be surprised. I've said this before. I won't be surprised by anything that happens over the next 10 days and then the three days that follow for the NFL draft. Nothing at all will surprise me. Trey Lance going three. Trey Lance going 12. I, no, none of it's going to surprise me whatsoever. Yeah, the Texans getting the number one pick would be a surprise. I don't know how they could pull that off. But other than that, yeah, I won't be surprised by anything that happens. So there you go. Trey Lance, Pro Day, Alex Smith, a lot of quarterback stuff in our around the NFL. Oh, man, how could I forget the Bengals got new uniforms? They're actually kind of nice. Go check them out. Bengals.com. They got some new unis. They look kind of nice. I got to admit it. Helmet didn't change. Helmet's the same. But the unis are tight. They're nice. Very, very nice. Also nice is Mark Vandermeer. Very nice is Nick Casario. want to thank them for joining me tonight. Thank you guys for listening. You guys are all are the best, and I hopefully you guys will listen for the next 10 days and then on into the draft because it is it's that time of year. It's a fun time of year, no doubt. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody, and as always, go Texans.